listening to the quarter to three movie podcast for the movie chronicle my name is tom chick and i am here today with christian mixelplitic it's pronounced kierkegaard (laughs) and with a chronicle tagline kelly wand kelly wand what would the tagline be for chronicle i love this story when it was called Akira. Wow, I'm glad you said that because I want to delve into that a little bit, not knowing and much zap. <laughs> <laughs> He had to sneak that in. That was Sorry. Uh, so for you listening, if you have not seen Chronicle, don't leave yet because we're not going to spoil anything just yet. We will in a little bit, but we'll warn you before we spoil anything. Uh, before we get to that point, though, uh, Dingus... What's this thing we just saw this past week? What What is this Chronicle movie? All right, well, this week we saw Chronicle, mm. a 2012 action drama science fiction movie. Mm. Oh, Three high school teenagers who accept an invitation to a Mexican village to replay their roles as bandit fighters, unaware that it is the real thing this time. It was directed by Josh Trank and written by him and Max Landis. It stars Michael Kelly, Ashley Hinshaw, Michael B. Jordan, Dane DeHaan, and Alex Russell. Mm. Chronicle Which character was Michael B. Jordan again? Vote for Steve. Hmm. Chronicle is rated PG-13 for intense action and violence, thematic material, some language, sexual content, uh, and teen drinking. Mm. Really? Yep. It says yep. that. <sighs> yeah, teen drinking. Kelly Williams. I thought they were just cops pretending to be high school kids. Well, you guys have now uh, confused everyone thoroughly, Uh, so nice going. I think I understood the references. Uh, Maybe not. We'll we'll find out. But Chronicle had a very strong opening. It was uh, number one in the box office for its opening weekend. It made a cool $22 million, uh, which is great. Uh, Cool. Uh, which is great for a, a movie with a small budget like that. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, 85% of the reviews are tracked as positive. On Metacritic, its average rating is at 69%. Um, and there we go. Now, if you haven't seen it yet, we now are going to spoil some uh, things that actually happened in Chronicle. Uh, Kelly Wand, why don't you just spoil flat out every single thing about the movie that happens Oh, you mean a chronoclopsis? A chronoclopsis would be... It sounds like a painful medical procedure, but I'm looking... It is. I mean, you. It's very painful. Oh, I wrote this. Uh, I promise it's non-spoilery. It's the gray rendered as a knock-knock joke. Are you ready? Okay. Knock-knock. Who's there? No. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, no, 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 no. So, oh. uh... I don't know how I don't know where to go with a knock knock joke when the response isn't Oh oh I see, I understand. <laughs> uh who? <laughs> Easter egg. I kind of screwed that up, didn't I? I messed it's up fine. your knock knock joke. You know what? I think you improved it. Well I thought <laughs> you I thought you were going for like a cop out thing. Yeah, I just thought you were gonna end at uh so I, I felt like I should I should <laughs> extract at that point. See, when you, you guys said you listen out of respectful silence. Now I don't know if it's respectful and admiring or Horrified. 
Well, let's find out with your chronoclopsis. Chronoclopsis. Okay. <clears throat> chronoclopsis. Uh, so this kid Stanley's a loser because he has a dying mom, just like the Super 8 kid and everybody in the gray and every other fucking movie ever. And his dad takes it out on him because he's an abusive dick. And his mom's a saint because she likes to marry abusive dicks. Stanley hates his life. Solution? Videotape it. Where's he get the money for the camera? Uh he has a handsome leading man cousin named Matt who tries to get this blonde girl by acting smart, sometimes dumb. She has a camera, too. Actually, every character in every place in Seattle has a camera, but only Stanley's has crystal clear microphone capacity at raves and at 30,000 feet up in the middle of a thunderhead. Matt takes Stanley to a rave to watch Matt strike out again with the blonde girl. She uses her camera to videotape raves so she can write about them on her blog. How artsy. But when Matt tries to pretend he's artsy, too, she laughs at him and hits on Stanley because they're both camera whores, which is movie speak for intellectual. I think Stanley that gets his ass kicked or wets his pants, but for some reason he's outside in the night crying and filming himself crying. A handsome <laughs> black dude named Bobby comes up. Hey, yo, you that mofo with the camera? Y'all got to see this shit. He and Matt take Stanley to a spooky pit in the woods. Then they jump down it laughingly, with no light source or knowledge of how deep it is. Being young is awesome. Huh, Max Landis? Somehow, they all get down there along with the camera. They find an alien polyhedron that looks like Gort's pancreas. <laughs> a little fun. Naturally, they lick and piss on it, not in that order. But it makes weird, ominous noises, so they keep doing it till it breaks the camera. Cut ahead after 10 seconds of black, which is movie speak for a few weeks. The camera works again. They're all telekinetic now, like Scott Bayo, which is awesome, except for the nosebleeds and PG-13 rating tip-wise. See, bitch, says Bobby, 99 out of 100 pits in the woods, you fall to your death or get your leg chewed off by a mo-fucking-bear. But I knew if I kept being a dumbass, sooner or later it'd give me superpowers. Uh, guys, whines Stanley. Isn't it kind of far-fetched we never told anybody else at the party we'd fallen in a pit, gotten superpowers? How do we even get out of the pit? We can't fly yet. And Bobby's all, shut your ass, nerd honky. It ain't like my character's been set up as indiscreet. <laughs> they use their powers to do housework like Nell Carter in Modern Problems. Then when they find out Stanley's a virgin, Bobby's all, yo, I know what'll get you laid, doing magic in the school talent show. And Stanley saw, wow, I didn't know we even went to the same school. Oh, they also go back to the pit to pee on it again, but the pit's been sealed up by some sinister park rangers, and they tell the kids to leave. I guess they can't get back in ever again, because there's a layer of dirt over it, and telekinesis works on everything but dirt. <laughs> Stanley tells the other two guys they should all go to Tibet and become enlightened monks, and they all jeer affectionately at his harebrained schemes. Stanley wins the talent show by using telekinesis to play 52 pickup. To celebrate, the other kids make him play quarters like Forrest Gump. This makes a 50-year-old woman with an orange wig want to fuck him, but instead he pukes on his coat. <laughs> Didn't she seem old? Or was it just me? And mannish. I would think, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I thought that, Stanley that's his actual girlfriend, so I'd be careful. It is? You don't troll. No, I did. That's the Dingus, uh, I think, emailed us about that. That is the actor's actual, like, real-life girlfriend, and I'm guessing that's how she got so they were acting when he threw up. <laughs> All right. Well, that changes the whole theory. Um, 
awesome that scene was. Okay. Uh, instead, he pukes on his coat, so she calls him a weirdo and stalks out, I think. Maybe he used the telekinesis to throw up. The one time there's no camera. Thanks, PG-13. Stanley turns so evil, he stands up to his abusive dad. He tries to steal money for his mom's pain meds by putting on his dad's fireman suit and mugging people. But for some reason, instead of doing a bank or just robbing the pharmacy direct, he sticks to hoodlums with three cents on them in a local gas station. Oh, yeah, he also strikes Bobby dead with lightning for calling himself Stanley's friend. And though his sanity's slipping, thoughtfully filming it for our benefit. Because aiming guns is apparently more complicated than manipulating lightning. The gas station heist goes sour when he makes the gas station concierge's shotgun strike a nearby barrel of C4 and blow up everything but the camera. Stanley, you dumbass. Wearing fireman gear is no good against... Fire? Meanwhile, Matt's nosebleeds are getting worse. I wonder how that arc will be resolved. Stanley winds up in the hospital, and his dad films himself getting mad at him while he's in a coma and telling him his mom died. His dad tells him to regain consciousness and apologize to him. Stanley's handcuffed to his bed, so I guess nobody knows he's telekinetic, even though I thought the cops and park rangers were in on it, and tons of witnesses have this kid on tape doing all kinds of impossible shit and communing with an alien prism. But anyway, finally ZKG gets mad and blows his dad out the window. Matt sees this at a party on the news, because it's a news-watching party. That's Tom's favorite kind of party. I, 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 uh, okay, I'm glad you guys got that. I thought of Tom for that. Like Tom would go for that. So he drives with his girlfriend to the hospital and catches the dad when Stanley drops him. Wait, the dad's still in t- Stanley's hospital room after all this time? Thanks, Max Landis. Matt tries to talk sense into Stanley, but Stanley's drunk with power. Stanley keeps saying how much stronger than Matt he is, and he proves this by raising buses 100 feet into the air and plowing Matt into skyscrapers with them, although you think he could just stop Matt's heart. Matt's also holding back, and also stupid because he brings the girlfriend with him. Yeah, she likes him now. I forget when that happened, or why. Maybe seconds after she slammed a door in his face, which she filmed herself doing earlier. (laughs) Matt keeps begging Stanley to stop. Stanley, please breaking a lot of glass this is going to take a long time to sweep up and repeatedly implores the cops not to kill him way to stand up for dead bobby racist but he finally tricks stanley in the end by telekinetically impaling him with the spear a statue of abe lincoln's holding in front of the library (laughs) normally spears are part of the statue and not detachable per se but luckily for matt and max landis stanley doesn't know that so stanley's dead and everybody knows matt has superpowers does he still have his old life is the girlfriend still into him? Uh. Matt flies Stanley's camera to Tibet and rests on a mountaintop and says, Hi, Stanley, you made it. Well, your corpse, anyway. I mounted your camera in the eye socket of your skull there like that dude in Hellraiser 3. God, that movie ruled. Ow, woo, woo, woo. <laughs> anyway, I love you, brah. So here we are in Tibet. I think in your final moments you unlock the key to enlightenment. All that stuff about you being the apex predator, that's totally what a monk would say. Anyway, I got a shit. Good times! And he flies away while the monks burn the camera's microphone like it's incense and start chanting, Owata Goose I Am. <laughs> the end. Thank you, Kelly Wand. That was uh, nice. Uh, modern Problems. Uh, thank you for bringing Modern <laughs> Problems into this. Debbie Coleman is the uh, third part of the triangle the love triangle in that it's i just remember that's really where i learned about orgasms uh (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) 
Uh, wow. How about that? Uh, Kinesis, too, because you're not actually there, but you're there. What What was this, Kelly Wand? Uh, I was just thinking about No Carter. Sorry. Oh. Go back. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about Chronicle for a bit. Uh, who's going to go first? I pick Dingus because Dingus has been awfully cagey. He and I have had a few opportunities to talk about it, and he has not volunteered anything. So, Dingus, start us off. What What did you think of Chronicle? <laughs> You've already revealed how you feel about it. Now I have to reveal it. All right. Um, I, what? Uh, when did you reveal I, it? Uh, I was pretty frustrated by it. You know, I think there's there's a lot in it that I really liked, uh, but the the uh, – the so tortured way of doing this found footage thing, which I am not going to stop complaining about. Um, I don't understand why it's done that way. I don't, I, I don't, I think it's, I think it, it gives uh, so many opportunities for horrible scenes and lazy moments um, that it ruins the things that are good about the movie for me. Okay. Uh, Kelly Wand, you're up next. How did you feel about Chronicle? Uh, yeah, what Dingus said. But I'd read, I was kind of liking it at first because I really didn't know anything about it, and it's kind of fun to go in blindfolded. Because his idea, there's like some cool ideas in this that I wanted to like, but I think they were gimped by the found footage device. And I'd read Max Landis's Frankenstein script, and I remember thinking, God, his characterizations are really simplistic, and he doesn't seem to think his own ideas through even when they're good, but then I was kind of liking the first half of Chronicle. So then I was all, oh, maybe I judged him too harshly, and then in the last like 20 minutes went, no. Most predictable wrap-up ever, and then I left. Uh, you had kind of kvetched about Max Landis a, a little bit before he we went and saw it. He, of course, John Landis's son. He wrote the script. Um, I didn't really have any opinion one way or the other about Max Landis before I went in to see the movie. However, since seeing the movie, I watched some YouTube video he did about the death of Superman, which uh, – have you seen this, Kelly Wand? No, go on. It is uh, it's a 15-minute long video, and because he's John Landis' son, he's got all these celebrity cameos in there. And he's basically just riffing on how comic books suck because of this Superman plot arc where he dies and comes back. And I, I, I could not stick with the entire thing because it was so incredibly overbearingly tedious. Uh, it was, it was, and a lot of it was just him filming himself talking. Uh, and Max Landis, based on that particular video almost made me like Chronicle less. He strikes me as the kind of guy who will hold forth in the living room uh, ad nauseum about some tedious little topic and uh, basically drive everyone else away from the party. <laughs> so I yeah. just... Uh, I, good Lord. But, okay, so that said, uh, I, I really quite liked Chronicle. Um, I certainly understand the limitations of the script you're talking about, Kelly Wan. Dingus, I share your frustration with the found footage concept. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to coin a new term. So we have found footage movies. Then we have a movie like Apollo 18 where there's no way the footage could ever be found. So that's just called a footage movie. Now, I feel, I, I feel like chron Chronicle deserves a new, a new name, uh, a, a new word for this genre. It was a forced footage movie. Uh, because, like good Lord, was that. That got a little tedious. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But I just want to say I, I really liked it. Um, 
Kelly Wan, you mentioned it reminded you of Akira. I don't know that kind of anime stuff. Uh, so this, and I, I'm not really into comic book stuff and superheroes. So this was kind of cool for me to see this unfold, and I liked the approach to it. I liked, for the most part, how the found footage conceit developed with the characters. Uh, I, I think I like the actors. Um, and I, I really liked, even though it was PG-13, how kind of dark it was willing to be. I, I wished it had gone further. I think as an R-rated movie, this would have fared much better. But I really did like how dark it occasionally was. Um, so there you go. Uh, we have a. Well, that a, got my hopes up. Because I was liking that, too. It was starting out darker than I expected. Mm-hmm. And it's just shot. Like, the scene where it, with the prism in the pit was great. Because I really had no idea what the next scene was going to be. And that's like the one time I had to kind of ha- give it up to Max Landis. Because he did, he did make me not know what he was going to say. Which well, is and that I appreciated. They didn't really ever explain that. It was just a silly, glowing thing in a pit gives kids superpowers. I was so glad we didn't hear that it came from another planet or that <laughs> the government was involved. I, I mean, I, I think that... Whatever the pitfalls of Landis's script are, he did avoid. Thank you. He did avoid uh, certain problems that, that could have come up. Yeah. And, and when I talk about it being dark, uh, I'm talking about things like the the kid's teeth being pulled. Like that was a that was a pretty dark scene. Uh, killing the black kid. You know, I loved and I would have liked to have seen more of the bits with him in the fireman suit stomping around, beating up people and the smears of blood on the pavement when he beats up the neighborhood bullies like that was pretty dark. Uh, So those kind of things. And and I I wished it had gone further. Like I would nominate this week's three by three or or moments that in movies that cop out. I thought not killing Michael Kelly, the abusive stepfather, was such an incredible cop out. Uh, And there there's a fair bit of that. That I think it did ultimately. Maybe um, he's dead though. Just of a heart attack, or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's dead, and Matt's dumb. He saved a dead body from getting splattered. Because uh, we don't hear him say anything, do we? Yeah, no, he's alive. They clearly drop him, and he's alive, and he turned. Uh, but that's Max Lannis's like. Oh, never mind. Well, it seemed to me, I mean, the reason it was a cop-out is I thought, because I really liked the scene in the hospital room. Uh, Again, a lot of the stuff about the abusive stepfather was just so facile and ridiculous. But I I liked how they played with the fact that we're looking through a camera, and by the camera movement, we know that uh, Dane DeHaan is awake, and the camera's pushing in, and then it blows up. And I I had assumed at that point he just blew up the stepfather. So I thought it was a cop-out that, no, he just messed up the room, and later was going to drop him down once uh, his buddy showed. Up. The line that begins that scene ruins it for me. What uh, what line? I don't remember the specific line. That that, that voiceover line of, of uh, presumably a cop going, "We need to keep the camera on." Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's again forced footage. They have I to mean, explain I why there's a camera out, out in the theater. Yeah. <sighs> it's, it's silly. Yep. Damn it. No, you're right. I mean, it's it, well. I mean, by the time Dingus, you get that scene where the the female vlogger, whatever she was doing, sets up the camera to answer the door. I mean, at that point, everything <laughs> was just so forced and ridiculous. Yeah. And the way she framed it with the mirror off to the side of the door. Yeah. That was just so just Why, e- too? egregious. I mean, it was so clumsy. Uh, so, but yes, Dingus, the fact that we need the little voiceover line from the cop to explain why there's a camera in the hospital room that that was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, um, it's amazing. I, I love that actor so much. I know, I do too, and I hate seeing him do these stupid throwaway one note roles like that. I really hated that because it's not, you know. <laughs> It's not his thing. I mean, he's got so much more range, and, and he's just so likable and such a great guy. And I, you know, I felt like he was 
he was just underused here and then given this thankless and that that hospital scene i once they set up the camera i just feel like oh now we're watching a scene and he has to do all this stuff how, how did you feel dingus uh as someone who is frustrated by all the forced footage stuff how did you feel about uh and i don't remember does anybody remember dane dehan's character's name Alex. Alex. Thing is, how did you feel about Alex's like mastery of the camera and the way the camera was set up when he and the black guy are sitting on the the ledge of the skyscraper uh, and how that and him floating the camera around the room? How did you feel about some of that stuff? Did that feel forced? I hated that because okay. for for one thing, I never felt like these ca- these characters gave me any sense of what it would be like to be on a roof like that or be, or the, just the fear of heights. None of them had, there was just none of that in any of them. And then in a lot of that, so those scenes like that or the scene where his dad complains about the $500 camera, I don't know why he's showing this. And I don't know why we're being shown this because one of the cool things about found footage is, especially, and this is something I complained about with Apollo 18, but you know, with with paranormal paranormal activity, you get the sense that somebody edited all this together and they're showing it to us for a reason. Right. There's there's so many different cameras that are being edited together to show us something, and I don't get a sense of why I'm being shown this. So that rooftop scene, I don't get why he's filming it, even though he gave the excuse earlier of it's useful or whatever. And I don't get a sense of why this is edited in to show us. I don't understand why we're being shown this. Uh, so, so that floating camera, uh-huh. I'm just constantly aware of it. I, I don't know that I can, and it's unfortunate because I I love some of the things you're talking about, Tom. Uh, but but I was just so much aware of that floating camera and the fact that no matter what camera is being used, other than the security cameras, all the footage looks quali- qualitatively the same. That I couldn't stand it. Isn't uh, and I could be wrong here, but because anytime I'm seeing a found footage movie and there is a jump cut. Right away, that is another that that implies the presence of another um, actor, and, and I don't mean that in the sense of somebody pretending to be a role, but someone acting on the events. That implies that there is someone who's taken the footage and edited it. Uh, you know, part of the point of a found footage movie is you remove the concept of a crew and a, and a stage, and uh, so so the moment you're seeing a found footage movie and there's a jump cut, I feel like okay, I, that should be explained to me. You know, why am I not just watching the raw tapes? Uh, and so I thought Dingus and I could be wrong, but wasn't part of the idea that uh, the other cousin, so Alex was the main kid. What was the other kid's name, his cousin? Matt. 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 Uh, wasn't the idea that Matt somehow like put this together and brought it to Tibet? or I, I Left it there and then picked it up. Well, that's so what I wondered did. about is why did he just leave it there and fly away? And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what the framing device was in terms of who's showing this to us. You know, there's no title card like Cloverfield. You know, this footage was found in Central Park. Uh, but I thought at the end, and I was a little unclear on this, that maybe the idea was somehow Matt had put this together as a tribute to his cousin. I could be wrong about that. Oh, well, the thing, you know, I hadn't thought of that, actually. Uh, but the, the problem is that there's so many, there's footage from all these different security right. cameras, too. Right. <laughs> so it feels like there's there's some other entity doing it. And I'm, I'm wrong. The actor playing Matt is named Alex. Dane DeHaan's character, I think, is Drew or Andrew or something. No, no, like that's that. right. That's absolutely right. Yes, yes. Good. So I, I'm wrong about Alex. But but uh, I like that idea that, that somehow Matt, edited all of this as a gift to him but i think there's other things at work or uh, i don't know where all this how all this footage right. gets pulled together 
Basically, it, it, I completely agree with you, Dingus, that it's way too forced. And whatever, you know, I, I, that's just an interpretation I thought was maybe there. And the fact that it wasn't made more clear just, I think, points to it being kind of sloppy. Uh, it's so less I, forced than the river, though. Makes, river makes Chronicles lapses look like. Uh, the, the river, yeah, there's, there's network TV for you. Uh, so, Kelly, so other, you, than, uh-huh. well, other than saving money, is, is there... I want to think of, are there positive reasons to make this a found yes. movie? Yes. Uh, it's, I, I, it's, it's, it's partly a trend, but it, it just fits into what, what new media means. I mean, how people use video cameras, the culture of YouTube. Um, well, one of the, I, I mean, found footage, uh, I think, is in ways more relatable to people. It's it's more of a sort of a documentary verite style, I think, for a YouTube generation. Um, now, and that's another, that's kind of one of my complaints with the movie. One thing that I felt it kind of failed at, um, I, I know that some of us on this podcast really despised Catfish, uh, that photo. <sighs> However, one thing I really liked about Catfish was how it plausibly tied into this idea of self-obsessed kids, uh, you know, the kind of people who Twitter what they're eating for lunch, using technology to chronicle something. And I would have liked to have seen more of that sensibility in Chronicle, which I really didn't feel was there. And so, therefore, I feel like the the forced found footage conceit was even that much more forced. You know, instead, what what I feel like I got with Chronicle was something along the lines of Super 8 or American Beauty, where it feels like it's more about a director forcing this solipsistic conceit onto one of the characters, about, you know, seeing the world through a camera and capturing things through a camera and, and aren't filmmakers introspective and this kind it's of so Mar- deep. It's, it's just like this mary sue filmmaker uh character um so so i'm, I'm with you there like i i wished that the chronicle had justified you know this idea of these kids chronicling their lives better that also felt very forced to me um, that's a really exciting idea actually because uh, one of the things I found ridiculous and something that my wife actually liked was in that final fight when he pulls all the iPhones out of the building, out of the Space Needle, yep. and you you see them flying and all the cameras floating around him. Uh, that's a huge opportunity there. And it, I didn't think of it until you just said it, but the cheerleader coming over and saying, stop filming us, that's creepy because he's got a huge camera. Well, the reality is that everybody's going to be filming them on their iPhones all the time and posting it to Facebook. And the idea that what you just said is perfect, that we could have jumped from from post to post to post to post to see this movie stitched together in a really artful way. I mean, that's a great idea, Tom. But Max Landis didn't have it, unfortunately. So, Well, I, I think they yeah. just wanted to have super glossy footage, no matter what camera was being shown, right. and, and they didn't want to sacrifice that for grainy footage. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Wand, you mentioned an Akira connection. Uh, so you uh, apparently love anime. Uh, what, what does this have? I remember seeing, I think I've seen Akira, and I couldn't make heads nor tails of it, and I promptly forgot pretty much everything I saw. Uh, what does this have in common with like anime and Akira and stuff like that? It's the exact same plot arc. It's uh, the picked-on kid gets super telekinetic power, and he has the... Uh, jock friend looking out for him uh watching him turn to darkness uh but they're all japanese see so, <laughs> so it's basically a, a cross-cultural teenage power fantasy 
I don't know what those words mean. <laughs> but also, Akira is the name of the celestial super being that gives it to the kid because the kid's name's Tetsu. And there's like a motorcycle thing. They all have motorcycles, and there's a drug. I forget what that does, too. I have a theory for you, Kelly Wand. <laughs> I don't remember it very well. It's been a while. I think that there were marijuana references in Chronicle that were removed, and I have two uh, I have two pieces of evidence to submit for this. Am I the only one who noticed that, by the way? Uh, so you guys didn't... The, other than the title? What? Oh, ah, chronic. <laughs> Damn it, Dingus. Dingus, you're so 90s. Okay, so uh, there's three. Uh, okay, the other two that I can come up with. Do you guys remember? Uh, so, uh, out, or no, Andrew and, and Matt are in the car driving to school the first day that, that Andrew has the camera, and they pull up. Oh, and yeah, Andrew yeah. gets out of the car and says to Matt, Aren't you coming? And Matt's like, I'll be there in a little bit. And he pulls out a 10, and then the scene cuts. Like he's going to stay in the car and do something before school. I, I'm pretty sure that, that there was going to be some reference to him like rolling a joint or something out of that tin. Another reference, uh, when they first meet uh, Dingus, what was, uh, what was uh, the, the black kid's name? Do you remember? Bobby. Steve. Bobby. Steve. Steve, right. Yes, uh, when, when Steve uh, first uh, says to, when first comes up to Andrew and says, hey, come film this hole that we found, and they're walking through the woods. Uh, <laughs> Steve Steve says uh, that he's going into po- politics, uh-huh. ironically enough, because I'm so ridiculously, and the scene cuts. And Hi, pretty, is what I, you think he said? I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure, so yeah. Because, he's stoned all the time. Well, because they're, I, like I mean, that. That I really, what else is he going to say? <laughs> and, and what would be ironic about going into politics, it, because I'm ridiculously drunk, that makes no sense. That's got, that's but not, still not George Bush. Sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that, so um, I think there were two marijuana references that got cut because the movie is PG-13, and they already had to deal with teen drinking. Uh, so there you go. Kelly, so, how do you feel about that theory? They also, remember at the last shot, you see a Bobby with the polyhedron is he's leaning with his mouth towards the polyhedron. That's because he's about to smoke it because there's a carb on the other side. There you go. <laughs> I'm a president because I'm so incredibly stoned. <laughs> That's what you heard in your mind when they watched that. I'm just making well, I was sure just I wondering why they cut the scene before the, before the next line. I mean, when there's a I, cut in the middle of a line like I thought he was going because I'm so incredibly well hung. So that's it's like a Rorschach test that tells you about the uh, could be like I'm obsessed with dicks, obviously. And Tom misses his weed. Obviously, I good stuff. So, so Tom, you said you really loved uh, the fireman suit and would have liked to see more of that. Yes. Um, can you tell me why? Like the fireman suit. So. Yes, because of uh, there, there is this long tradition. Well, not long tradition. There, there is this creepy tradition that I think resonates with a lot of us of kids dressing up and going on school shootings. Uh, there's a movie, the only absolute non, the only movie by Uwe Boll that's not absolutely wretched. And this movie is pretty wretched. It's just not absolutely wretched. Is a movie called Rampage, where a fairly decent actor, and I forget his name, dadgummit, Brendan Fletcher, I forget who the actor is, but uh, Uwe Boll does this, <laughs> uh, this movie about a kid who, who builds himself a suit of armor and then goes on a shooting spree. Um, and I think of the guy who uh, welded himself into a bulldozer and drove it around town and smashed things. Uh, you, you know, there's this kind of, and of course the kid 
kids in the trench coats at Columbine. So there's this tradition of kids like putting on creepy outfits or whatever and then going on shooting sprees. So when when Alex is starting to freak out, the fact that he turns to his father's fireman outfit uh, as his costume, you know, and because firemen – there's no denying that, like, firemen have always been heroic, and certainly post-9-11, they're even more heroic. You know, all the way back to Norman Rockwell paintings, firemen are, are heroic, noble people. The fact that he puts on a fireman outfit and then goes out and does these really thuggish things, I was kind of fascinated by. And just the image of him flying around in that big, clunky, ridiculous fireman outfit. Um so I would have liked to have seen more of that stuff because I just liked how kind of awkward it was in the juxtaposition of a heroic outfit, you know, a fireman and doing villain, borderline villainous things. Uh, so that, that's why I like that. Well, I thought it seemed out of character, and he that was where the character got really stupid and started fucking shit up. and Like, he had no endgame. Oh, I, I mean, I definitely would concede. I mean, this was a movie about superheroes, and all the character motivation for the mo- the character motivation for the most part was all a little silly and, and threadbare. Uh, I will definitely concede that. But you, you know, what superhero movie doesn't have that? That's not called uh, Dark Knight or Super. <laughs> dude, did you see the Spider-Man trailer? <laughs> uh, so, Dingus, why did you ask about that? Did you find that stuff just uh, silly, or I just felt I. I didn't know how to feel about it. I, I, I like the idea of this this kid who uh, is is about to use his superhero powers and decides to put on a costume, and this is the costume he has. Mm-hmm. Um, it confused. Uh, you know, I went to. I got to see this uh, with my wife. It confused her at the gas station. Kelly made a joke about this because he he suffers these burns um, and he's in a fire and I and I said look it's an explosion and fireman suits are going to help you with heat but they're not going to help you with an explosion we've all seen backdraft we know uh, better yes that's I true. like that Wendy's went right immediately thought that too right uh, but the the thing I I liked about it kind of is that as 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 annoying and facile as I found those douchebags who hang out in his neighborhood <laughs> Um, uh, on his the, street, those those moments are very much to me comic book uh, pains. Sure, absolutely. Uh, of him like scooting the bodies out of the way, or that or that uh, that iconic sort of jumping into the air and landing on the pavement so it cracks in front of him, and that he's in a fireman suit. I could see that in a comic book pain in my head. Yep. So I I kind of like that this guy says I'm going to go out on this this um, this mission and i'm going to put on my suit to do it so i i kind of liked that uh. <laughs> that's kelly one's comment i don't know what else he's going to do i mean you can go comic like kick-ass and and come up with your sort of goofy lycra suit or you can do what you have on hand and take your father's fireman suit and i i like that he does that it, it it's clunky and it's weird and it doesn't work for him but i like it doc ock didn't have to wear a costume Although he did have to find a coat that had holes in it for the tentacles, which was probably a pain in the ass. But, Kelly Wan doesn't Doc Ock? He's got a big old O on his chest. No, that's in the comic. <laughs> I would not Wait, know. Uh, Superman's dead? Not anymore. He got better. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a bit about the actors here. Uh, so we on this podcast like Michael Kelly. Kelly Kelly Wand, you probably don't know who that is, but he was the stepfather. Um, ah. uh, Kelly Wand, how did you feel about the actors in this movie? 
I uh, they seems kind of written into corners that Max Landis had painted for them. Uh, but I was sort of I liked their scenes. They're sort of organic scenes where they're kind of trying out their powers and like seeing who, like he's the best one at, at precision work. Mm-hmm. Like their laughter seemed unforced, unlike the footage. <laughs> uh, but then it's never used. Like he keeps saying Matt's not as strong as him, but I, I don't know. The battle didn't really convey that. At the end. <laughs> well, you know, what? let's table the talk about actors real quick and talk about that battle at the end. So, uh, did were you? How, how did you feel about that climactic scene? And actually, here's a question, Kelly Wand: Did you see it coming? Because the trailers, and again. Freaking trailers! People I didn't don't, see the trailer. don't watch trailers. The trailers give all that away. They uh, do. Oh yeah, that sucks. Because yeah. this, the time I was most with the movie was when I really didn't know what the fuck was. Ha- I didn't know they were going to get powers when they went in the pit. I was kind of like, I didn't know what the ball test was going to be till he threw the ball and he hits him on the head, and I go, oh, it means he can throw a, a ball better now. That's his power. <laughs> he licked the prism. So I go, oh, there's going to be a baseball sequence coming up. No, the trailers give away, uh, you know, the flying. Actually, the poster gives away the flying. Um, I, I don't know. I actually love the poster for this movie. Uh, yeah, it looks like Take Shelter a little bit. It's that um, vague. It's that kind of cryptic looking. Like, oh, wow. No, it's it's like yeah. that sky movie. Or something. Well, it's very it's very sky gray. <laughs> I mean, it, it shows you. I think it gives you the sky movie. It gives you just the right bits of information. Uh, the poster itself is very gray. Uh, it's not colorful right. and flashy. It shows you the Seattle Space Needle. I think that's what it's called. Uh, and it just shows two, I guess you don't know their kids, it just shows two people like flying. Um, so I, I love how, how vague that is. It doesn't show you any actors. It doesn't show you, you know, are they wearing costumes? Yeah. What are they doing? Why are they flying? Why is it called? gives you nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but so so that that final uh, scene, and I did not see the trailer till after the movie. Uh, like I knew going in because of the poster they were going to fly, but I didn't know that it was going to be this big. You know, it's kind of like King Kong. You know, King Kong gets they fight the, they fight him, they bring him to America, they're going to show him off, and you're, you're secretly hoping, or like Jurassic Park, what is it, two, three? You're secretly hoping, yes, let this thing loose in the city. I want to see it breaking things and eating people. Yeah, so you're kind of secretly hoping that. I, I like how that was a payoff. Um, at the end of Chronicle. And at times, it was because of the found footage, and this is something I think it also lends to it, Dingus. Uh, the found footage at times made it look like when they're shooting from inside the car and they go all the way up to the top of the Space Needle, that was like one of those rides at Universal Studios or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's something you can only really get away with if you're going to play with this found footage conceit. So I really like still that. filming it, too, as it happens. That really, that's, that's when it really works. When the, when the car is falling off and you wonder, how is he going to get her out of there? How is the camera going to come out of there? I mean, <laughs> Some of the most tense moments are, how is the camera going to survive? Right? Yeah. So at that moment, you're right. Hopefully the girl breaks its fall when and the lens is okay. Oh, terrible. But I, I, I like to see, because when I saw the poster, I go, oh, they're falling. I didn't know they were flying. Or I thought flying could be a metaphor. So Tom and I saw totally different things. Kelly Wan, that would have been a much shorter movie. Right. <laughs> it's like that one said, uh, what's the d- one, the cove? Not the cove. The reef? Yes, the reef. Ten yes. minutes long. <laughs> right. Chapter one, I... <laughs> uh, Dingus, how did you feel about the finale? And then the wind-up and the, the climax and all the stuff in Seattle. 
Unfortunately, um, I'm going to be a little one note here because I'll be um, complaining about the, the found footage. If, if I had bought into the found footage concept, I think I would have loved it because some of that stuff of crashing through the walls of a bank or there's one time when, when a woman is saying, get away, from, get away from the window. What are you doing? And he's like, can you see this? And then they crash through a wall. Right. Um, I like some of those things, but I don't like not being able to tell who's fighting who. I don't like that moment where Andrew is saying, I'm an apex predator, and all of a sudden a, bu- a bus hits Matthew. And and we've set up this idea of them being humans, which is something I really like about this, is that they're fragile, regardless of their powers and their ability to sometimes protect themselves from pain. Uh, a bus slamming him into a building, he's apparently impervious Untouched. to that for some reason. You know, the the... The thing All those people die, and the stepfather lives. So, so the, the end fight bothered me because I couldn't see enough of it, and I didn't understand. I didn't understand the rules of the fight, and and the uh, the screenwriter paid some homage to the idea of having rules, but they never. I felt. Yeah, he backed it with the bus, and he's not as powerful as Alex. But if Alex gets stabbed with a spear, it's game over. So, so. And, and then the cops get blown away, and then they they creep up again, and you know, it, right. I, I don't know. Uh, Bloodless. I like if if I had bought into the found footage concept, I would have loved that. Mm-hmm. But because I didn't, I kept thinking while I'm sitting here, why is this found footage? Why can't I just watch the fight? Mm-hmm. The direction I kind of was hoping the movie would go in, and why I left so bummed because I go, oh, it ended with the generic fight between these two characters. I was hoping their powers would keep intensifying. And the and the movie just kept getting weirder and weirder and like Akira years from now. No, even weirder than that. Like the camera lasts forever. Like they, but they become like godlike beings controlling these different civilizations. <laughs> well, they had they, they have this weird they, connection. <laughs> they like fling suns at each other or something with slingshots. That's what I wanted. Sorry, Dingus. What? That's okay. I shouldn't jump in. I always think is they have this weird connection so that their noses start bleeding when something intense is happening to one of the other ones, or they throw up at an intense moment for some reason. And right. and in this climactic moment, I, I'm thinking their bodies should have been giving out in other ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like almost the fly, like parts of their bodies falling off or something, their which is explodes. not going to happen in a in a teen drama where they have to appear gorgeous. But but this idea of them. Of of the intensity of their power, like you, you what you just said made me think of that, uh, making them fall apart. But that's but not a that's not really a part of that teen power fantasy movie. Like I, I do, I get I, what you're saying, Dingus. That would have been a different movie, just like Kelly talking about them ruling civilizations. I mean, I think that the standard <laughs> template. <laughs> no, I, I would have loved to have seen that, Dingus. Uh, Kelly right. Wand. I would have loved to have seen it go like the fountain. You know what? What's what's going to happen to him in ten thousand years when the sun is gone, or a million years? The sun has gone supernova. Where are they then? Sure, I'd like to know that stuff. <laughs> uh, but but I think the conceit is, you know, it, it's all about. It's not like a body dysmorphia movie. Like I think that nosebleed thing was just to establish that they've got to work on the powers and they've got to train or, or whatever. Um, but the idea is what happened, you know, what do you do with these powers? One of them does the bad thing and then the other one has to kill his friend to punish him for his moral transgressions. I mean, that right there is pretty much the only arc of the movie. Like that's all that they're talking about. Like what the, the, the moral trans, Alex. No, no, I thought you meant you were, that's why Bobby dies. No, no, that's why that's why Andrew gets killed because you, you think the, the all those buildings are going to come down, you know, like Fight Club style around him, and yeah. then Matt Matt stops him to you know to save every to save humankind basically. Yeah, uh, and to then to then exile himself 
So, yeah. But did uh, it was he on a was it a death wish? Because he knew. I mean, he puts on a fireman outfit, and goes to rob a gas station. Like obviously, they're not going to sell him meds. You know, Kelly, one the the questions you're asking, I think, are not things not that, that kind movie, of movie no no i'm not saying it's not that kind of movie i, I would have liked to but but i don't think the movie really cared i mean it was so we view it was just so glib oh i'm so angry because my stepfather's me was it even a stepfather my father is mean and my mother's dying i mean it, it's just teen angst you, you know the movie really didn't go any farther with character motivation than extreme teen angst because yeah a comic book right uh so I, I agree, Kelly. I would have I would have much more enjoyed a movie with a better script, with better characters. Um, but that that's definitely not what Chronicle was. I, I agree. Was this was Chronicle Max Landis's rebuttal to Superman's death? Like, I'll show you good arc, idiots. Check this I, out, I, Alex. Maybe who knows? I didn't. I didn't know Epic. Superman died either. Uh, it's also Revenge of the Sith. It's the exact same thing. He kills the black dude, get and turns evil instantly on a heartbeat, and then the other guy kills him, even though the other guy is not supposed to be as good. So the yeah. guy who's not as good is the prophesied one. Haha, oh. uh-huh. Phantom Menace lost to the vow. <laughs> can we can we go back to the actors now? Yeah. So let's talk actors. So. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, why don't you, you observe that they were uh, at ease? They were all pretty accomplished actors, I thought. Dingus, how did you feel about them? I really liked um, I really liked Ashley Hinshaw, the girl who plays uh, Casey, I think, even though her <laughs> character is, is ridiculous. Uh, I liked her. I thought I thought she had the right level of blondness. <laughs> yes, that's I'll leave it at that. And I liked Dane DeHaan too. And you know, I think it's a shame that if this is supposed to be an origin story, I don't know that necessarily is that that he's not the one we get to go with going forward because I think Matt is probably the weakest link. Yeah. And Michael B. Jordan, I liked him too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So my big problem was uh, uh, there, there's a series that was on HBO with Gabriel Byrne called In Treatment, uh, and the first season of In Treatment was nothing short of magical if you like watching actors work um and one of the characters in in treatment was mia vasikowska who her and gabriel byrne just just some amazing amazing stuff if you like watching actors work good lord what a treat it is and specifically mia vasikowska and gabriel byrne so as in treatment went on for two more seasons uh and got worse and worse and worse you could feel it flailing around trying to find some replacement for Mia Vasikowska. Uh, in the second season, there's a girl named Allison Pill who's been in some other – she was in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and she was uh, uh, like an angry uh, teen girl who had cancer. You know, that, that was her shtick. Oh, and by the way, Mia Vasikowska was like an angry, sullen teen. In, in treatment, and she was seeing a therapist. So for the second season, they bring in an actress named Allison Pill. She's got cancer, and she's doing the Mia Vasikowska part, and it's nowhere near as good. And as the show gets worse and worse in the third season, in the Mia Vasikowska slot, is Dane DeHaan playing the angry Solentine, and his particular affliction is he's a gay teen. So uh... I, I have spent literally hours watching... Dane DeHaan just sort of uh, being all angsty, and it was a huge, huge obstacle for me during Chronicle, <laughs> which I feel bad about because I think he's actually kind of good in this uh, this sort of like straight-to-DVD Leonardo DiCaprio way. Right. Uh, I, I really like him, uh, and I just feel bad that I had this baggage going in, and it was uh, it, it was just an enormous, enormous obstacle for me. Um, 
but I did, I really did for the most part like the cast. And, and, and Dingus, you're right. Ashley Hinshaw was just very lively and energetic. And, you, you know, that you could see how that role would have just been completely and utterly forgettable with a lesser actress. I mean, it makes me want to see other things that she's in. And I liked Michael B. Jordan, uh, the guy playing Matt. What was his name, Dingus? We should. Channing Tatum. No. <laughs> Sorry, he's in every other movie. I just his just... name is Alex Russell. Alex Russell, yeah, I, I thought he was he was good, and he had some decent chemistry with the other two. And uh, you know, you don't generally get good actors in most cheap found footage movies. So I, I was mostly pleased with the cast, despite my own baggage. Um, Kelly, yeah, I don't understand the economics of in treatment. If if the if it's so good that first season, why they don't get better? people for those parts i don't understand it wasn't it's so the writing deteriorate yeah it was the writing they lost uh i forget the guy's name he's gone on to do a few crappy movies he's the son of gabriel garcia marquez uh, uh, uh the max landis of the uh magical realism is it Rudger? <laughs> i got it uh, i i i'm not googling this right now i don't know but i am Digging deep into the reception. I thought it was Rod- Rodrigo or something like that. Yeah, Rodrigo Garcia. Thank you, Dingus. I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, but at any rate, he was on the first se- He was sort of the creative director or whatever you call it in TV. I don't know, showrunner of the first season. And then he left and someone else took over for the next two seasons. Oh, and okay. to be fair, they had talented actors. It was just horrible writing. Like Amy Ryan in the third season of In Treatment almost, almost, almost makes it worth watching. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, they, they got... Um, uh, Irfan Khans, who we know from oh. uh, you know from many things, including uh, look at those assholes in Darjeeling Limited. You know he's he has no lines in that movie and he's phenomenal. Uh, he's an in treatment. They they get Deborah Winger playing pretty much Deborah Winger. You know they they got great actors, but uh, it just had terrible writing. So even poor Dane DeHaan uh, didn't fare very well. By the he way, totally so- calls to mind Leonardo DiCaprio. By the way, you're totally right. About yeah, that. yeah. Uh, this, I don't know if you guys know, was not shot in Seattle. All faked. Could huh. you tell? What? Wait, was the pit part in a real pit? <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if there's some tax break or something, this was shot in South Africa. Oh, like Safe House. Uh, racist. Yeah. Is Safe House shot in South Africa? Yeah, it's set it? there. Okay. Well, yeah, this was actually shot there. And they, put, they put digital Seattle stuff in the background during certain shots. Um, so it's not a oh, real chronicle. <laughs> uh, and Kelly Wand, you'll be glad to know in the trailer. Actually, you won't be glad to know, but if you watch the trailer, there's apparently they hint at a scene where someone is. This <laughs> is so ridiculous, too. Someone is telepathically pulling Ashley Hinshaw's top off. What? Yep. And it wasn't and in the movie. Wasn't in the movie. There's like blurred out toplessness of her. You like, mean telekinetically? Telepathy would be your reading her boot. Uh, yes, right. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Uh, yeah, so they're they're pulling her top off, and she's got her arms crossed over her naked decolletage, and she's giggling or screaming or, or whatever. Right. Yeah, they do okay. it with a leaf blower, but they, why, why do they even need the leaf blower to do it? Why don't they just raise it? They already don't they know anything about how to do this? Kelly Wand, what would you do if you had telekinetic powers? Uh, bring me the head of Rodrigo Garcia. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between. Bring Superman. Let's do a three by three. And kill Guy. Okay. <laughs> Just to see. 
So, Kelly Wad, what is this week's 3x3? Because I would have liked to have used Chronicle, I think. What? What is the cop-out in Chronicle? Oh, we can't talk well, about it. you'll have to listen to the podcast where ah. we uh, were... <laughs> about and where, where Tom says, I would use this for the 3x3. Okay, everyone, listen <laughs> to the first third of the podcast now, then put off the second half. So, Kelly Wad, what is the 3x3 this three week? Biggest... What do you got for us? Well, it was going to be something else, but then it was this because I'd seen the gray and I was in a foul mood. Uh, three biggest cop-outs, although the gray is not on my list because it's not big. It's just a quiet cop-out. But we'll see what cop-out, because we've already done a hero survival, which is kind of similar, but this is sort of a bigger net. So um, ideally there's no, oh, the hero should have died there once on this one because that should have been on the other three by three. I did I did have to avoid one I really wanted to put on the list, but that I'd already used for hero survival cop-outs. Yeah. Uh, so Kelly, one, I might have screwed this list up because I'm, I'm looking at my list, and none of them are big. No. Well, none of mine are. Okay. My number, t- my, my number two is big. Well, Dingus, you get to go first because you are introducing next week's 3x3. Three three. So before we get to your big number two, what's your little number three? Leave <laughs> <laughs> Wendy out of this. <laughs> uh, all right, my little number three for uh, biggest cop-outs is a movie called Albert Knobs. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I just love hearing the title of that movie. I know. And it's on a list. Oh, my God. See? Fully the kid. Wait. So the cop-out is... uh, Well, he'll tell us. Yeah, Dingus. So what is is the cop-out in Albert Knob? Starring Janet McTeer, by the way, who I super like. Oh, she's so great. Oh, man. What? What? That came out wrong. I'll I'll ask you again later. Did you did you ask if I masturbated to it? It's Albert Knobs. <laughs> I don't think is that what Knobs means? Is that is that a euphemism? I did not know. I did not it know that now. The, the title of that movie is a full sentence. I was not aware of that. <laughs> Albert Knobs. <laughs> so Dingus, what is the cop out in Albert Knobs that, that puts it on your list? Cop out free to me. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I, I'm going to with at least two of mine, I'm not going to be able to tell you because it's the uh, ending of the movie and and I feel it's a cop out and I don't think anybody has seen Albert Knobs I don't think either of you have <laughs> just you on the whole planet um, uh, but uh, so I'm, I'm not going to tell you specifically what happens because I, I think it's worth viewing because of Janet McTeer especially but also Glenn Close's performance is really 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 good um, but I really I hate what happens at the end because I feel like either the writers of the screenplay who are uh, Glenn Close actually and John Banville um, or the or the person who wrote the short story which I haven't read uh, who's a person named George Moore they couldn't muster the courage to see the character through to where the character should go. And instead I feel like it's just sort of, well, what are we going to do? Let's just do this. And I hate this kind of ending and I don't want to ruin it because it just came out in 2011. And I think people, you know, will see it because two of the performances were nominated for Academy Awards this year and there's 20 performances nominated. So this is what seven tenths of that. (laughs) <laughs> Who taught you math? Uh, I thought there were only nine now. 
So yeah, I apologize. I can't really talk about it, but it's it's what happens at the end of Albert Nobs. And all I right, no one can check his work. No one's seen it. I know. Well, how about this? For my number three, I am going to go ahead and spoil the ending of a movie uh, because I felt it was a cop out. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to see this. If you haven't seen it yet, you're probably not going to. Can I predict what it is? You can, but uh, how about I give you a clue first, Kelly Wan? Okay, okay. Sorry. You are personally in trouble about this movie. I haven't told you this yet, but you are now in trouble. I'm about to pick up. I have a bone to pick with you, Kelly Wand. Bash. Now guess. MacGruber. Uh, uh, MacGruber does not cop out. MacGruber is the opposite of a cop out, Kelly Wand. It's a robber. Man. <laughs> uh, You're not going to guess it because it's a movie you have mentioned on 3x3s before that I finally got around to watching. And I, the bone that I have to pick with you, Kelly Wand, you are in trouble because I don't understand why you didn't more emphatically suggest this movie. Because for all of its shortcomings, including what I feel is its ultimate cop-out, good Lord, I loved this thing. Now can you guess? Passion of the Christ? No, no, I haven't Zapped. seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I wish it was zapped. Oh, I'd love oh, it. I thought, oh, Passion of the Christ, cop-out. What's with the... Yeah. No, I finally got around to watching London. Oh, what? Okay, go on. So I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't know. I, I guess I remember you mentioned it in a few three by threes, and you were kind of like, I, I think you eventually sort of begrudgingly said, "Yeah, you should see it." Or I don't remember you being that emphatic about recommending it. But throughout, like ninety percent of London, I was just grinning ear to ear. Uh, first of all, the structure of it, the. Chris Evans is really good. I said all this. But given that he's such an unlikable character, eh. um, and I, I love that it's basically, it's almost like a play, and that it's basically about this, these coked-out, privileged douchebags yes. locked in a bathroom during a party. Yeah. I mean, that is that is most of the movie, and they are both so incredibly unlikable and Absolutely not self-aware, but I feel like the audience knows what douchebags they are, uh, and I love that conceit. However, where I take issue with that frickin' movie is at the end, he has this reconciliation with his girlfriend, oh. which makes no sense to me. He has been such a complete asshole throughout this movie. He's a complete a-hole to her. I see no reason that she should even exchange words with him. And there's a great moment where he finally gets up the courage to walk up to her at the party. And she completely blows him off. And that the, that the movie turns its back on that. And then she then melts and they have a reconciliation is such a cop-out. I would have loved to have seen this movie see it through at the end about a coked-out douchebag asshole getting shot down by his ex-girlfriend. That would have been amazing. <laughs> As it was, it was instead just, just 90% of this really fun movie where Chris Evans is really good. And one of my favorite things about the movie, Kelly Wand, is a bad part, I, I think. So Jason Statham is just fascinating in this because I don't think he's up to the material, but by golly, that is not going to stop him from trying. And there, there is one sequence that I, I am convinced he thinks it's his Oscar reel. <laughs> It is amazing where he has this big, loud, confrontational confessional, and he is so not quite, as an actor, not quite up to the task. I mean, if he wants to, like, whip off his shirt and beat some dude up, I'm totally into watching that. But watching him do his Oscar reel, I just had no, there was no end of, of mirth that I, I got from that. Um, so I, I really, really enjoyed London, Kelly Wand. Uh, but I feel like it copped out. I didn't um, see the end, so I so you've only before that. Are you serious? Well, it, oh, 
Well, it's very disappointing because it gets heartfelt, and for whatever reason, uh, this movie that I felt had been judging these these terrible characters decides to pull its punches and, and throw them a little redemption. So you would have hated the ending as well. I just thought Beale looked good in it. That was my whole point. It's nice, too. I like the rice thing. Remember? Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, it's that's the thing, and that's how the the minds of coked out people work, I think. And that that yeah. rice bit is perfect for that. Yeah, and just the inane dialogue. Like I, right. I, I'm a little worried, having seen it and having seen how it ends ends up, that the writer and I don't remember the guy's name. I think he's a first time filmmaker, but I'm a little worried that he doesn't think that some of that dialogue is as absurd as it is. Um, that's okay. That is okay, because it's still fun to watch. Yeah. Great art doesn't need to be intentional, Tom. Very good, Kelly Rock, exactly. <laughs> my cocky can score accidentally. <laughs> so that's my number three. That's uh, what McGee's hoping for. Sizzling. That's what what? That's what McGee's hoping, like a broken clock's right twice a day kind of thing. McGee's already been so incredibly white right twice with the Charlie's <laughs> Angels movies. And Armageddon. Oh, wait. <laughs> so there well, you go. My number three is London. I wish that they it had seen its conceit through to the end. Just don't watch that part. Just look at Beale. Look at her. I mean, she's attractive, but uh, she, she's such a she's so kind of flat and vapid in the movie that that's I, not right. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's one wretched conversation after another. <laughs> it's got to be intentional. You know what? I like. I can't. Although the reconciliation makes me think the director's dumb too. Like right. that. That's that's convincing me that you're right more than anything. But I think the dialogue's supposed to be dumb. I don't know. Well, it's kind of like it's it's like a coked out Wit Stillman. Like if you know what those Wit Stillman right, movies right, are yeah. like, where everybody's really smart, and it's that, but coked out and convinced that what you're saying is really smart and really intelligent, even though to those of us in the audience who don't share that addled state of mind, we know better. Uh, I think I like it when Wit Stillman does it though, because it's just sort of exotic to me. Yeah, like sure. Foreman bird song. Well, Whit Stillman isn't his his brain isn't drug addled uh, when he writes. Yeah. His so. name's Whit Stillman. <laughs> so there you go, my number three, London. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Uh, next time you should recommend it more strongly because it sat. It, I had I got it from Netflix and it sat in the little Netflix stack for freaking ever uh, until I finally put it in and just like I said, it was grinning ear to ear for most of the movie. So. If I'd said it was, what's that girl from The Change Up you like? Uh, Leslie Mann. Leslie Mann. See, if I'd said it was Leslie Mann and Chris Evans, you would have watched it the first night. Absolutely. Well, you know, I forget, too, how good Chris Evans is. I mean, I like Captain America more than you guys, and that had almost nothing to do with his acting ability. He's just a charming guy. But, like, Sunshine and London, what am I missing, Dingus? What, Dingus, why do we think Chris Evans is good? He's good in Fantastic Four. Like, they're shitty movies, but when he's a lot, when he's on screen, it's actually kind of good. Like, you kind of perk up. Like, oh, Human Torch is... Like, you see why frontlined him. I haven't seen him in forever, but isn't he the lead guy in Cellular, which I recall really liking? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. He's in The Losers. Oh, Dingus, that's right. Quit reminding me. Yeah, see? See see what I get, Kelly Wan, for asking Dingus? Yeah. I guess Dingus hates Chris Evans. (laughs) He's great. He's, He's funny and snarky in The Losers. He's one of the best parts of that horrible movie. That's true, but it's still like the losers. Him. It makes me remember that I saw the losers. I don't like remembering that. Sorry about that. <laughs> He's good, and it's not another teen movie. He's like the uh, Freddie Prinze character. Okay, well, there's where I draw the line. I'm not going to see that. Fascinating. Kelly Wan, what is your number three uh, big cop-out in a movie? Uh, this one's the most boring, so I'm just going to spit it out and move on because it's okay. not that interesting. But I, I, it is really is the third biggest cop-out. It's like... Uh, 
I felt very gypped when I saw Freddy versus Jason and no one won. I was really annoyed. Like, you know what, Kelly? No, that's that's fine. I'm sick of this. They do that all the time. Alien versus Predator, nobody wins. Exactly, exactly. Well, Kelly, that- no matter who wins, we lose. <laughs> I know. that. And when I saw that slogan, I go, oh, it's Freddy versus Jason all over again. Like, no one, no winner, no loser. It's going to fucking draw with nothing. I mean, it's the Super Bowl's not like that. You actually give a shit who wins. Well, I don't. Uh, do, do Freddy and Jason actually fight? It ends with Jason... Coming out of, yeah, they fight, but I forget what. Something, Jason comes out of Crystal Lake and he's carrying Freddy's head, and then the head winks it, winks at us, like he breaks, the, he corpses in the fourth wall. <laughs> and then that's the end of the movie, and I'm supposed to go, wait, so who won this, and why is he winking at me? It sounds like there was a clear winner, it's just there's an opportunity for another game. Game? If if somebody got beheaded and his, being, his head it's is being game. carried around, I think it's he a- lost. Uh, I saw it more as a death duel, which isn't a game. There's no rules. You don't bring a a, a strat guide to a super killer. <laughs> All right, it's dumb. Kelly Wan, does anybody win in those like uh, Anaconda versus Giant Mongoose movies? The Sci-Fi yeah, Channel wins in all the Godzilla movies. When Godzilla fights somebody, Godzilla always wins. Yeah. It's a clear thing. Yeah. But Freddy versus Jason, I was like, hmm, well, they don't really have very compatible powers so it can't not be interesting and then it was completely uninteresting they just kill each they just kill the same teenagers together like mr and mrs smith same thing so even mr versus mrs smith kelly wand who would win in a fight between jason and ash from evil dead Mm, i guess ash because he's they're both tenacious Sorry, the, the, that's wrong. The correct answer is all of us. Oh. <laughs> but in King Kong versus Godzilla, they gimp it because, like, King Kong is way smaller than Godzilla, but in the movie, they're, he's, like, the same size as him. Because one of them crawls up skyscrapers, the other one just, like, steps on them. So, obviously, it's, it's a mismatch. But then I because it's a Japanese movie, Godzilla wins. Okay, go. Well, as I know from Peter O'Toole and the stuntman, King Kong was only three feet high. Does he How's say it? it? Uh, what is it? Uh, Peter O'Toole just has so many great lines in the stuntman. And I think one of them is something like, uh, King Kong was only three feet high. If God could do that, he would be a very happy man. But Godzilla is like nine feet tall, if that's to scale. Well, we'll have also, to see. Also, if King Kong gets killed... I don't but he's already dead, so what they bring in this same guy. All right. uh, as far as I know, King Kong uh, is dead. I don't. Yeah, I don't. It's the son of Kong, maybe. King Kong Lives came out though. Are you calling that not canon? I don't know. I don't know. Do you care? I'll, I'll check out on, on Wikipedia and I'm get back to you. Three D. Dingus, what is your number two choice for a cop out, big or little? This is apparently a big one. Dingus, give us a big cop out. I'm going to put in Anaconda versus Giant Mongoose now. I think that's a real thing. That is a real thing. That's I, I did not know that, but it, it fills me with such happiness to know that that exists. Because well, with the regular size one, it wouldn't be very good. Well, what's that, that classic one that got by just on the title, like Giant Shark versus Giant Octopus? Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Sure. You, know, you, you just fight two big, scary things, and uh, there you go. People show up. Sci-Fi Channel airs it. People watch it. That's all you need. There's always a winner and a loser in the old ones. 
This is a new thing, where it's just a commercial for both things. Kelly Wan, sometimes games are a tie. That's just a fact of life. Not on Battlefield. Yes, yeah, sometimes Battlefields uh, end in a tie. Everybody's just tired and goes home. Tie. That's where it's the tie and tired. <laughs> I've seen a few of those, but just the, the mental image of a giant mongoose in my head, I can't... <laughs> How does right, so, even fight? Moths don't. I'll give you a quote from my number two. All right. Here it is. I'd rather not discuss my career. Mm. I'd rather not discuss my career. Good Lord. I, it's something I haven't seen. I don't think I've that's, ever seen a movie where somebody says that. That's his Irish accent, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, the movie is Big Fan. That's why I said it was a big one. Oh, yeah. Uh, very good. What? Yeah. I, I recall I, that going... Doesn't that kind of see through to the end? Doesn't he end up in jail? Well, spoiler, but that has a pretty bleak ending, doesn't it? He doesn't kill the guy, though. He shoots well, him. Well, I wasn't going to talk about that, but no, Kelly has. It's from 2006. I guess we can. Uh, it just it was going in a much darker direction. It was heading down a darker path. It felt like it was going to be a, uh, a big fan, taxi driver kind of a movie. Um, I think, actually, somebody who worked on... Did Josh Trank edit this? He did something with Big Fan, I think. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I was expecting Big Fan when he goes into that bar to get much darker, and I think it really cops out and becomes... And it, and it tries to go for character redemption instead of going into this dark area that I think the movie is headed for. So I felt like Big Fan, while I really, really liked the movie a lot, I don't think it, it paid out. You know, on this podcast, we are not big fans of redemption. In movies. I wouldn't call that redemption, though. Like, I don't think he's redeemed. Because even uh, at, I, at the end, he's not... I think the movie tries to have it both ways. I think it tries to lead us down this dark path, and this uh, this dark path of black comedy, and then, uh, he, you're right, Kelly, he's not redeemed. I mean, he ends up back in the ticket booth, I think, of the garage, wherever he works. But it doesn't go, I think, where a ballsier movie would have gone. Fair or he moves in with Quantrill Bishop <laughs> in the prison cell. <laughs> wait, that's... A, hmm. Oh, wait. Shh. Okay. All right. Well, my number two, uh, this is, again, it's a small one because um, I think the movie... I don't know. I don't even really like this movie this much. I just remember at this point, at the scene I'm about to tell you about, thinking, well, why is the movie copying out there? All the other things it's going to do and that it has done, now it's going to cop out? Uh, and the movie is The Punisher. The first one, actually not the first one, because I think there was one with Dolph Lundgren or something, but this is the one with Thomas Jane. Uh, and at one point, you know, The Punisher's supposed to be brutal and do terrible things to people. Uh, he captures a guy who he's interrogating, and he, he takes the guy back to, uh, I don't know, I guess he works at a chop shop or something. I don't know what The Punisher's day job is, but he takes him to some place where there's a lot of machinery, and he strings the guy upside down, and he strips him, maybe not naked, but certainly uh, topless, I think. And he shows the guy a flame, uh, a welding torch, and he's like, "I'm gonna burn, I'm gonna burn the flesh off of your back unless you give me the information I want." And then he turns the guy around and he puts the welding torch down where the guy can't see, and he picks up a popsicle and he's sticking a popsicle on the guy's back, and the guy is screaming, thinking that it's a welding torch. Uh, and I remember thinking, "Well, this is supposed to be a grim movie. Why are we having this?" Oh, cute- the Punisher. Yeah, yeah. Why is there this cute little uh, fake out with a popsicle? Uh, okay, A, mm-hmm. those popsicles are really, really cold when you first <laughs> them out. So it does feel a little uncomfortable. Okay. And two, 
Uh, I thought that was early on in the movie, and so maybe it was like before he turned all the way into the Punisher. Tell you what, he becomes the Punisher when his wife and family, or uh, his wife and children, or child maybe, are murdered. Like but all this was, stuff has already happened. Like yeah, but he just his kids he just his kids just got killed the day before, so he still has the popsicles in the freezer. So he has to use them up. <laughs> he does, if I'm not mistaken. He might Thomas Jane might actually put that gross popsicle in his mouth after. No, I think he's eating Ew. it first, and then he sticks the guy. In That's because he misses his wife too. But seriously, if we could bring this to <laughs> wasn't it a push-up kind of popsicle too? Like that uh, one. I don't uh, remember. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a conventional popsicle with you know the little wooden popsicle stick. They cut the part where he puts his dick in his ear, and the part where he opens the tin and goes, "He's I'm about to get really high and torture this guy." <laughs> sorry. So that's Kelly Wand referencing something on the earlier part of the yeah, podcast I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. that you should listen to. You should you should see no. Chronicle and listen to the earlier parts of the podcast. Uh, disappointed. All right, so uh, Kelly Wand, what is your number two cop out? That was a good one, though. Thank by you. By the way, yeah. Uh, my number two. Hey, Dingus, I I remember being bummed when Vader turned good at the end of Jedi. I thought that was a big cop out because he didn't give a shit about Luke dying in the Death Star battle. So I'm all, oh, now he cares. When who did what? <laughs> Darth Vader, Jake Lloyd. Not familiar. Turn of the Jedi. Suddenly he's uh, upset. But now he says no, so I like it. Changed my whole mind. Actually, that's not my number two anymore. Can I do a new one? Nope. No, I've already put you down for uh, Phantom Minute Strikes Back. <laughs> nah, that one's lame. Is that is really it in 3D, though? Is it, are you choosing 3D? Wait, is Tom giving me a, 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 a mulligan? No. There's no mulligans. No, you... Uh... Wait, what were you going to say? What were you going to say? You are going to say something. Me or Dingus? Who was going to say something? You said, is that... Like, oh, oh I, I didn't really know. A I, real one. I sort of tuned out while you're talking, so I just wrote Star Wars. I didn't know if I should specify <laughs> specify a particular Star Wars. I didn't hear Reactity Sex come on, so obviously <laughs> you like Star Wars. That wasn't 3D. Good. <laughs> I'm afraid uh, I did not contribute to Phantom Menace's uh, 3D box office take. And it's a movie for kids. What am I going to see that for? Um, yeah, but it's in 3D. That's not for kids. 3D is totally for kids. No. What? Well, you know what? You're right. Now that Martin Scorsese has made a 3D movie, it's a grown-up technology. We should all yeah. embrace it. 2D is for kids. When you get old enough, you get an extra D. Ah, right. And then 4D for old people. All right. Well, Dingus, we are now at our number one spots. What is, for you, the biggest cop-out amongst big cop-outs? And could you maybe give us a line from a movie to help us guess it? I can give you a, a line. It would have made a lot more sense last week, but it, it's going to be just as good this week. And here's the line. Cancel the Super Bowl? That's like canceling Christmas. Black Sunday. Yep. Because you've talked about this before. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't. You can't do what – a movie can't do what you want it to do, Dingus. That would be a different movie. <laughs> All right. Wait, so what's it would. the cop out? Tell us what the cop out is, Dingus. Oh, I feel horrible. <laughs> I, you should. Uh, this is um, my ultra-morbid, borderline sociopathic moviegoer choice. It's not sociopathic. I think it's perfectly healthy, but it's unreasonable. Well, I know wait, it's unreasonable. I'll explain it in a minute, but, but go ahead and tell people what it is. Uh, well, I remember seeing this in a 1977 movie uh, directed by a fellow named John Frankenheimer. Um, <laughs> and, and I remember seeing this with my dad when I was a, a kid, and that blimp... That whole blimp thing, I'm just thinking, God, what's going to happen? Because the, the premise of the movie is that terrorists are going to explode a blimp 
in in the Super Bowl and just kill all these people with darts. Yeah, with darts. With with the don't forget that part. Darts, darts inside uh, a blimp somehow. But go on. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It's it's awesome. Yeah. First turn. You remember that that moment in the uh, in the barn? Yeah, um, but but of course uh, the the plot is spoiled and and the blimp does not explode inside the Super Bowl. And uh, all these people do not get torn to shreds, which is for the best. And I would like to say as a human being, that is better. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember afterward just kind of feeling unsettled and saying to my dad at some point after we saw it, well, didn't you kind of want to see them that uh, happen? And my dad just reacting with utter horror, <laughs> feeling like I'm a broken human You know being. what, though? It's Part of it's like nothing good happens. It's like you go, oh, it's going to be an epic suspenseful, oh, we got to get out of the Super Bowl before the darts get shot, and then the darts never get shot, and then he's like, it looks super cheap-looking, like half-assed uh, rear projection, and then he's like 50 miles away in two seconds, and it's just like a shitty, wretched sequence. And you think it's going to be, oh, it's going to be this epic Super Bowl action yeah. yeah. So, Well, Dingus, why, why I feel that that's completely healthy is nobody watches a movie where, where some dastardly plot isn't, isn't schemed about, you know, where a villain doesn't, isn't going to, like, blow up the, the moon with a laser or nuke Los Angeles or something like that. Like, any time there's a movie with a, with a plot afoot like that... As an audience member, you secretly want that sort of spectacle and destruction, and uh, like it's like going to a NASCAR race and you want to see the cars wreck. Like you kind of secretly root for the villain's plot to come through, uh, even though you know it's not going to happen. That's a whole different kind of movie. Um, you know, it's why people see trash like that 2012 thing that Roland Emmerich did. Uh, it's why. Here you go. It's it's why it's partly why Michael Bay's Armageddon is an ingenious piece of work because we secretly are like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if a comet hit the Earth? Well, you know what? He shows us that right at the beginning of the movie. He has Charlton Heston narrate. Here's what will happen, and he shows us this cool special effect. Here's what will happen if the world's best deep core drillers don't save the Earth from this asteroid. You know, we get that right off the bat. And furthermore, he has little junior asteroids arrive in advance, and they do things like blow up the space shuttle, they trash Paris, they crash into cities. He gives us a little bit of that destruction to sort of tide us over, so that even though we're rooting for, hey, won't it be cool if an asteroid hits the Earth, we got a piece of that already. So, Dingus, I feel it's totally healthy. Even then you know you're not going to get it. Later, because you've seen right, it. Right, because you've already gotten it, and now you can enjoy Bruce Willis's noble sacrifice. Un- not un- show us another special effect. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce Willis. But uh, along the way, Kelly Wan, you get to see the space station, the International Space Station, blow up. You get to see Steve Buscemi get space sickness and go crazy with a space gun. You know, I don't know what more you want. Yeah. I can't believe you used my Black Sunday door to bring in Armageddon. <laughs> well, yeah. I live to serve. <laughs> Speaking of Bruce Willis, and on this topic, I remember watching Die Hard 4, and there's a part where Timothy... Exactly. Holland, Go ahead. He's blowing up the White House, and a character, like one of the cop characters, like, oh my, he acts like like a million people have died. He like super freaks out, and then he runs outside to see the White House, and it's still there, because yeah. Timothy Oliphant didn't blow up shit. He just used computer technology to make it look like he had. How you, know, you know what that reminds me of, Kelly Wan, though? In Die Hard 2, they actually trash an airplane. 
Like they actually yep. give you a little taste of that. Like, hey, here's what this whole thing is going to come to, and we're going to we're going to give you a little taste. You know, they have the airplane crash, and I don't know, hundreds of people die. No, so. that's no, they don't. Yeah, they do. What are you talking about? I thought you meant the one that John McClane's in and uses the ejector seat. Although, why don't they use that exploding plane as the beacon to land his wife? So, no, are you not remembering in, in Die Hard 2, they definitely trash an airplane full of people? Yeah, when he's trying to wave them down and he sets the whole runway on fire and everything. Yep. That's it, the bad guys. Kelly <laughs> 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 Wan, you need to see Die Hard 2. Kelly Wan, am I going to make another five bucks off of you? Because I will... saves the day by blowing up a plane of passengers with his wife on it so the villains can save <laughs> Got it. All right. He's trying to Probably save a place because he's incredibly stoned. <laughs> Once again, listen to the first part of the podcast, and that might make sense. <laughs> All right, so my number one choice. Let's go back down to little things, smaller scale, uh, but more insidious. I actually hate this movie. I cannot stand this movie, and one of the reasons I can't stand it is because, and a lot of movies do this, the main character is supposed to be a, a racist. But he doesn't use racist language. It's supposed to be like a, a, a really gritty movie about a racist learning to come to terms with whatever. You know, it's got too much redemption at the end anyway. But in Gran Torino, the, the Clint Eastwood movie, where he's a Korean War vet and he learns to accept all kinds of people, and then he does his own noble sacrifice, there's this really tense scene where he's confronting these black guys, and he's not scared of them, and he's tough. And the, 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 the most racist word he rolls out is spook. Which is, you know, that's I I wouldn't use that word, uh, but it's in Korea though. But I, I mean, I feel like if you're gonna have a racist character, the problem is Clint Eastwood is just such a soft director. Like I, I feel like he's so, uh, you know, the Clint Eastwood of Unforgiven is is beyond us at this point. I, I think we've lost him. Yeah, exactly. We're, he's doing safer movies now. So even though Gran Torino is about a uh, an old racist, you know, the worst he'll do is is be gruff to uh, a little Vietnamese kid who lives next door. Um, he sings so, the closing theme song, so you know he's not a real racist because a racist wouldn't be singing. Are you serious? Yeah, over the end credits. Oh my God! Wow, that's uh, okay. Well, that's I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on my long list of reasons I don't. Yeah, like his acting career singing, unless you count the Super Bowl spot. <laughs> offended Carl Rove. <laughs> very, t- very touchy man. All right, so Kelly Wan, that leaves you. What is for you the biggest cop out? So this is your topic, your yes. number one spot. This is this is going to be huge, I predict. It is. This is the only one where I actually get mad every time I think about it. Like it, re- and it's a movie that I kind of like. I actually like a lot of things about it. But if I think about this aspect of it, I just start seething. Uh, and I'm referring, of course, to one of Dingus's favorites, Contact. Uh, <laughs> there's two cop-outs, and they're sort of related. Uh, the smaller one is at the end, where you find out the James Woods senator guy, who has been uh, up Jodie Foster's ass the whole movie and like questioning her and giving her lip. And then he find, you find out he knows that there's 17 hours of videotape, so she had to have been in space longer than the half a second. And it's not really a, a faith issue, like they've been posing it in the movie throughout the whole movie. But you don't find out what the implications are of him realizing this. And then also, she's going to be uh, taking the trip, and uh, she gets stung by Matthew McConaughey on, do you believe in God? And instead of going, what's that got to do with anything? This is a science expedition, you fucking twat. 
I got I, I'm going up there for uh, to expand human knowledge. One of the other people on the board goes, "Oh no, it matters because ninety percent of the people believe in God." Okay, A, they don't believe in the same one, so it's not like a ninety percent ten. B, it's still irrelevant. And C, uh, when she gets there and she flies through space, the ghost of her dad tells her kind of the same thing, like kind of nothing. Like, ah, well, you know, I'm glad you came. All right, see you later. And then he keeps her <laughs> out again. It's like, dude, we just spent a ton of money on this. It took us two, we made two capsules. Another guy blew up the thing with the whatnot. And that's all you got for me? Oh. Dingus rebuttal. Trifecta cop-outs. <laughs> Dingus, how am I dumb? Um, because <laughs> There's so many that- flavors. If you were smart, that would be a terrible waste of space. Oh, say it three times. Say it four times. Say it five. They keep saying it. Who's it? Is it her dad who says it first? Or James Wood's character? I can't remember. I don't know. But I love the middle, and I like her little journey and then everything. But in the book, it's like uh, 12 different people, and they go through all these different doors, and they're all from these different nations. And then they're all, what'd you see? Well, yeah, that's long. Yeah, my dad, ghost dad. Yeah, okay, what are they doing here? Oh, Vega, they're making like a mining facility. Oh, okay, that's cool. All right, so poor old contact. A Robert Zemeckis movie copying out. Who would have thought? And on uh, such a loaded... Uh, All right, runners-up for big cop-outs. I actually didn't have any because there are plenty of movies. I mean, I, I wanted to mention War of the Worlds, but we talked about that during sur- uh, yeah. hero survival rip-offs. Um, it, what, is what, a, it is a qualifier, though. Oh, it's a huge cop-out, yeah. But, you know, Steven Spielberg, there you go. I bet the warhorse doesn't even die in the end, by the way. I don't know. Does he? Black Dingus, Dingus. should you spoil that for us, Dingus? No, I shouldn't. Hmm, interesting. Uh, other runners-up. <laughs> <laughs> How come when Tom says interesting, it sounds like he's meaning uninteresting? It's like when you say, I like you. It's like when my mom says it was entertaining. With the with the kind of frown. There's there's absolutely nothing interesting about Warhorse. I, I will say that here and now. I haven't even yeah, seen it. Yeah, it's horrible. Don't yeah. please don't see it. Um, Horseable. Uh, so no other runners up. No, I got one. Oh, yeah. uh, I've got I've got a couple. All right, what, what runners up you got, Kelly Wand? Uh, I was kind of bummed in Ghostbusters when you found out Dan Aykroyd was only dreaming and was getting a blowjob from the ghost. Mm, good oh, one. that's the one they don't capture. Like they keep her around the station because she actually has some like social skills. They could fire any pots, maybe. Dingus thoughts. Yours <laughs> about blowjobs. No, there's nothing to think about those. Good point. Series in. The dingus you have runners up. What do you got? Uh, the Cujo movie, I think, is a cop out based on how I felt about the Cujo book. Does yeah. she get? Does she get killed? Oh, does the kid die in the book or something? Yeah, the, the kid dies in the book, and it's a huge. I just remember having read it and being devastated by it when I read it, yeah. and then reading his his interviews and feeling like, wow, that's really cool. Because as a writer, he's just saying that's just what happens. I I have no control over that. That's just what happened to the character. He died, and I have no way of controlling that. And I just had this weird respect for that as a, as a kid who wanted to write, reading Cujo and then being devastated by that being the ending, and then reading that. And then the movie, the kid's fine. Yeah. And then him saying, yeah, it was good that in the movie he lived. That's way better or something. Like, he kind of <laughs> copped out in the interview. But Dingus, to Cujo's credit, I'm pretty sure the dog dies. Oh. So you don't see many movies that do that. 
Uh, other runners up. But the Red Raspberry Zinger scandal is an no no time for that in the movie. Sorry. Maybe if she'd fed the dog Red Raspberry Zingers. I'm glad that Kelly brought up or opened the Star Wars door because Greedo shooting first is clearly a couple. Mm, no, that's the way it really happened. My mistake. Oh, and he said George Lucas is now saying that Greedo always shot first. We were just too dumb to realize it because the editing was too close in. So now he's saying he's making it clear what was there all along. I'll give you guys a cop out. Indiana Jones shooting that guy with the sword instead of fighting him fair and square. What? As a cop out. Wait, how come Lucas doesn't mind that? Like that guy's just a swordsman. Maybe he was just doing like a show for the crowd, and and Indiana Jones guns him down in, in cold blood. But Greedo, guy's about to shoot him anyway. God, why am I fucking talking about George Lucas? Kelly Wand, if you watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, you know that Indiana Jones doesn't unnecessarily kill people. He's very careful about that stuff. He's a very very conscientious man. The guy with the blow dart. That he, guy got he, fine. He was fine. Saw. It was stun poison. It didn't kill you. It just what about the Kate Blanchett character? Does she become... She died by her own. It was it, for her moral transgressions. It's hard. Oh. <laughs> Who's the king again? Of the, Like, what's the kingdom? Who's the... Uh, it's the Crystal Skull Kingdom. Oh. Uh, king Alien. Wait, there's Crystal eight of them, though. Well, they're one? one, but they're all in one. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. You'll just have to watch the movie. If you if you did have the if you don't understand these things, you just didn't watch the movie closely enough. Wait. So they needed the skull to start the ship, so the ship could go. Also, monkeys. Uh, so Kelly Wall, or no Dingus? What is next week's three by three? Next week's three by three. Your three favorite things done with a dead body. Oh yeah. That's gross. Oh, yeah. Wait. What if it's the same thing in just three different movies? That's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> wow, I didn't that's, stay in movies. Uh, that's that's an odd one, Dingus. All right, uh, any questions? I don't have any. I, I like the door that has been opened. So clinically dead, or just flatliners like in between, like where the dream sequence? Uh... I'm gonna say yes. What about undead? Yes. What about like a zombie? Okay, dead body. What about a mummy? Dead body. Mm. Yeah. If it's a separate entity, Kelly Wand, if it's like acquired monster status in some sort of a mythology or other, it's not a dead body anymore. Just so you know. What about what if you're uh, in not the a dead body? Is and that's a yeti. That's a yeti, Kelly Wand. No, no, in Chronicle, and you're talking to a camera, and all right. So what's <laughs> listen? Be sure to listen to the first half of this podcast <laughs> to know what the heck Kelly Wand is talking about. <laughs> They're not gonna. It's uh, uh, next week. We will be seeing. Uh, and I'm very uh, happy about, about the fact that we are seeing uh, a, a movie by McGee, uh, the director of Charlie's Angels 1 and Charlie's Angels 2, colon, uh, Full Throttle, movies that are very near and dear to my heart. I believe they both made my top ten list for their respective years, by the way. Uh, he's directed something called This Means War. Uh, we will see that next week. See it and then join us, and then we will also discuss our three favorite things to do. No, our th- Three favorite things done with a dead body in a movie. Uh, and uh, we hope you'll join us. Also, uh, please rate us on iTunes. We love when you do that. Uh, and like us on Facebook. We also love when what? you do that. Oh, what? Yes. Facebook plugs. What? Facebook's, yes. Facebook's the devil's handmaiden. Well, I agree, but we like it when people like us on Facebook. The devil's handmaidens should like us as well, Kelly Wand. I why are you why are you picky all of a sudden? Because Facebook's evil. It's dumb. It's creepy. Frictionless sharing? That's not, that's brainwashing. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I agree with you, Kelly Wan, but I also like it when people who do that like us. So I'm, I'm standing by that. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined this week by Christian Mixelplitic. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Unlike us on Twitter. Did they win a Grammy or something? April was. If you like Facebook, uh, put a note under this podcast that says you like it. Don't fart. We'll never find you.